So I was thinking recently about how the world views us as Christians. And I think they think we're weird. I think I might agree with them, actually. I think we are pretty weird. So I threw it out on Facebook and said, hey, uh, what are some things that we as Christians do that are kind of weird to the watching world? And I got a ton of responses. A lot of them had to do with things that we say. Like Pastor Jared was just up here and he said, we do life together. Can you understand outside of Christianity, when you say we do life together, that means you're cellmates in prison. (laughs) right? I mean, we do life together, and we blame Satan for everything, which is not only weird, but wrong, right? But we blame him for everything. We do the fake cussing thing, right? What the frick? (laughs) Right? And and shut the front door. Like, I mean, it's just weird. And and then, uh, oh, that was not a coincidence. That was a God incidence. And we're weird people, all right? We're just weird, all right? And then uh, then we just say, okay, I'm I'm dating Jesus now, right? Or Lord willing, Travel mercies, hedge of protection, hashtag blessed, right? I mean, we're just weird at times. And we go on social media, we're weird. We do things like, hey, like and share, and God will bless you. Which is not only weird, but again, wrong. You know, like, it's just crazy. And then, then there's uh, signs. We hold, okay, so um, you go to a football game, and you hold up defense, right? Not if you're a Christian. Evidently, you hold up John 3.16, Right? And for most people, they're like, uh, I think the guy is looking for his, not, his friend named John, and he's in section three, seat 16. Like, uh, they don't know what that means. Weird, right? Speaking about signs, what about cheesy church signs? Not even going to touch it today, right? Like, that's where, our, how about our Christian movies? Good message. Weird, right? They're weird at times. And then, okay, how about our weird infatuation? Can we just be honest about it? Our infatuation with Chick fil A? We're just weird. How about holding hands in prayer? I don't mean holding my own hands. I mean, when we go for, hey, let's pray together. And, and I go like this, and the person next to me intercepts, grabs your hand. I'm a pastor. I don't like holding your hand during prayer, okay? And it's just weird. But you have no choice. You can't reject. If you reject, you're basically saying, I hate Jesus and you, right? Like, so you got to do it. And now I'm just, I hope it's a short prayer. Short prayer. Like, it's just weird. Some of you admitted to, uh, at Christmas time, you have a birthday party for Jesus, which I get it. That's making sure the message is clear. But there's the empty seat for Jesus, the birthday cake with the candles and singing happy birthday to Jesus. We're weird, right? Like, uh, okay, one of my questions was, how many candles do you put on the cake? (laughs) He's God. He's infinity years old, okay? Well, no, it's from the incarnation. That's still 2,000. That's a fire hazard. I can't do that. It's just weird. Uh, Some people talked about how they used to, uh, when they go to the restaurant, instead of leaving a tip, they would leave a gospel track, which is not only weird, but incredibly rude. Thank you for representing Jesus that way, right? And then what about when we worship? You realize when we celebrate communion, we gather to eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus. Think about that from the outside, right? And then we all, as we just did in worship, we stand together and we do group karaoke every week, right? It's kind of weird. Now, I am for worship and communion. I'm like, I'm not dissing all that stuff, but I'm saying we've got to admit that we are a little unique. Let's own our weirdness and realize that we can laugh at ourselves, but the world thinks we're weird. 
Here's the thing, though. When they do studies, uh, weird is not always what pops out when they say, hey, how do you view Christians? It's very sobering, but actually studies show that non-Christians find us judgmental, hypocritical, harsh, negative, and if they were to put it in one word, Christians are mean. Here we are, the representatives of Jesus Christ on the earth, and the watching world would say we're mean. What if instead they were able to say that I don't believe all that Jesus junk, but I'll tell you what, those Christians are the most forgiving people on the planet. Wouldn't that be awesome? That flows directly from our passage today. We as a church are going through Luke, and we come to chapter 17, and it begins like this. And Jesus said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. Now it goes on. I'll pause there for a little bit. Like, let, you, you, did you catch, like, it seems like Jesus ain't pulling his punches today. He's following through. He's swinging hard. And he begins by saying temptations are sure to come. Now the word, the Greek word there that translated into English as temptations, it literally means the bait stick of a trap. The stick that's baited, the animal nibbles on it, and the trap closes on the animal. It's the bait stick. And I, I, I know what bait is like because I've been to the mall. Like, you know when you go to the mall and you go through the food court, there's always that dude out there with bourbon chicken, right? Free samples. It's not because he likes you. He doesn't want to give you, that's bait. That, they are just hooking you in and it works on me every time. That's bait, right? So listen, there's nothing wrong with temptation. Jesus says temptation is sure to come. Sure to come. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is his common demand. Temptation is a very human condition. It's okay. Even Jesus was tempted in all things, yet without sin. It's okay. So, uh, let me give you an example. Being same-sex attracted is not sin. Some of you are just shocked by that. No, that's just temptation. When you act out upon it, that's when you roll over into sin. And straight folks don't think you're off the hook. We have heterosexual lust. When you are uh, uh, attracted to somebody, that is not, that's called temptation. It's when you act out upon it in a sinful way that it is sin. And since I'm a dude, I'll speak to dudes because I just understand that experience a little bit better. But listen, guys, when you see a gorgeous woman, that's called having eyeballs. Okay? That's all that is. The first thought is only temptation. It's the second thought that counts. So the question is, what do I do next? Do I dress that thought up? Or do I undress that thought? Right? I mean, that's what I do. Like, that's where the battle of sin is. Temptations are sure to come, Jesus is telling us. There will be temptation, and that is okay. Now, there will be a day coming, and I look forward to it, when temptation is no more. Oh, I can't wait for it. Really, because of my own life, my own self. Can't wait to offload that, that junk. But until then, to be tempted to sin is just human. The issue is sin itself. And some of you are getting entirely too bunged up just over temptation. Temptations are sure to come. And so what we want to do in that moment is walk with Jesus. 
Think of, look at these statements right here. I want you to be tempted to run to Jesus, not tempted to run away from him. What I mean by that is when temptation comes, use that moment to run to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I need your help right now. What if you blow it? What if you sin? Fine, run to Jesus. Tempted to run to Jesus, that's what it should do. If we're honest, unfortunately, most often, temptation comes and it makes us run from Jesus. And then we fail and we run even harder and further still. Be tempted to run to Jesus. Temptations are sure to come. Now what Jesus said next is he said, well, woe to the one through whom they come. That's because Jesus would never dangle a preposition. It's a grammar joke. They never work, really. I don't know why. But anyway, so here's the question, though. Through whom did sin come? Think of the grand scheme of human history. Where did temptation first enter? In the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, it was Satan. Through whom did temptation come? Satan. And Jesus says, woe to that one. What do you think should be done to Satan for what he's done to this world? Okay? Now, hold on to that in your mind because what Jesus is saying is when you cause someone else to sin, you are in league with Satan. You're joining up for his team to recruit people into his rebellion as we all have done at times. Oh my goodness. And Jesus says, don't cause people to sin. Actually, he didn't say don't cause people to sin. He said, don't cause one of these little ones. Now, that strikes our ear as children. We think children when we hear that, right? Jesus says these, they're right there. There's no indication from the text that children are there. Who's there? Remember, Luke is all about the gospel going to the marginalized. Those who would be shut out and looked down on by society, they are welcomed in by Jesus, these little ones, and they are new babes in Christ. But they belong to Christ. He loves them. And he's saying, when you cause one of those little ones to sin, that's going to be a big, big issue. By the way, speaking of about causing someone to sin, how do you cause someone to sin? They've got to make a choice. But at the same time, I, I mean, note this. Like it, causing someone to sin, it's not when you have a beer out in public. Oh, you're, you're causing people to stumble. Well, that's not it. What it is, it's, it's when I go out to eat with one of our addicts, and I know they're a recovering addict, and I'm not sensitive to that in that moment. In fact, I go to the next level and I say, listen, you've got your five-year chip. So, you know, you're fine. You can drink. Well, you know what? You're fine now. Let's drink. That's intentionally causing someone to... Remember, it's all based on the trap, the bait stick. You don't accidentally trap an animal. You intentionally trap it. You bait that thing and spring the trap. That's cause... I'm intentionally causing someone to sin. And when you do that, Jesus says, look, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Now, some of you have never seen a mill millstone, so let me show it to you. This is what that would look like. So this donkey would walk around in a circle that would propel that big stone wheel there to go round and round. They'd put grain in the trough, and it would just crush it and crush it and crush it. All right? You can see from that stone, that thing's heavy. Several hundred pounds easy. And Jesus is saying it would be better for you to have... Okay, time out. How would that be better? Like, sounds like I drowned from that. 
right? Like that doesn't seem like, I, I mean, if given the choice, would you rather, have any of you ever played Would You Rather? All right, we're going to play Would You Rather right now. I'm familiar with the game because my daughter likes bubble tea. I think bubble tea is filth, but I love my daughter, so I go out for bubble tea, right? And I get this cup of uh, milky nastiness with fish eggs in it. <laughs> that looks good. And, and, uh, and my daughter and I will go out for tea, and we'll sit down, and they have a box of Would You Rather cards, and we'll, we'll do these, and, and they're kind of fun. Here's how it works. Here's an example right here. Would you rather have legs as long as your fingers or have fingers as long as your legs? Now, here's how the game works. We're playing it right now. You have to raise your hand on one of those, all right? How many of you would rather have legs as long as your fingers? Okay, that means the rest of you are about to raise your hand. How many of you would have fingers as long as your legs? I can count. Some of you are cheating, right? <clears throat> all right, so you get how it works, right? So here, here's another one. How, how, would you rather always get stuck in traffic or always have really slow internet connection? Okay, you realize how American you are? You didn't groan at having fingers as long as your legs. You groaned at that one, right? All right, so let's play. So how many of you would rather always get stuck in traffic? Oh, God help you people. Are you serious? How many of you would always have really slow internet connection? God help you people. They're both bad choices. They both stink, right? That's the point. So now here's the third one. Would you rather have a large millstone tied around your neck and be thrown into the sea or cause someone to sin? That one's really easy for me. I'd say B on that one. Like the millstone, like that doesn't sound like a good day to me. Right? Like, they say drowning is one of the worst ways to die. But in this case, what they do is they take that large wheel of a millstone, they run a rope through it, they tie it around your neck, they put you in a boat, they row you out to where the sea is deep enough, they lever that big stone overboard, and you're snapped backwards, right? Now you are going head down, because that heavy stone's dry. You're head down, your legs are flailing, you're trying to clutch. Like, drowning's bad. I got to imagine drowning with a millstone tied around my neck is worse. That's a bad day. And I'm saying, Jesus, that's an easy answer. I choose B. And Jesus is saying, that's foolish. Choose A. Choose A. What? Yeah, listen. You drown as a sinner. It'll be horrible, but it'll be over quick. And then you're going to find yourself standing before God. And hopefully Jesus is your Savior. You're covered by his blood. You're going to be okay. But the other option is a life of rebellion against God. And not only that, but enticing others into rebellion against God. You are joining Satan's team and recruiting others to the rebellion. And this happens at certain points in our society. Like some of you have been, uh, you've gone to professional conferences and they are like booze fests, right? And, and like orgies. I mean, it is just, that's the way it goes. That is enticing people to sin, causing them to sin. For some of us, that's really distant. Let me bring it home. One of the things we wrestle with in parenthood is there's a temptation in parenthood to try to make sure our kids sin just as much as us. 
Right? Like, like, I don't want my child to grow up to be holier than me and convict me. It's cute when they're young, out of the mouths of babes, right? Like, it's cute then. But, but if I'm a big drinker, like down the road, I want to make sure my kids are big drinkers so we can have fun as a family. And I am causing them to sin. We do that as a society. Or how about uh, going with the culturally accepted morality instead of biblical morality and not only accepting it, but exporting it to the next generation. We call that school or university. That happens. It's not only out there, but unfortunately it happens in the church. There's a ton of false teaching that goes on. And so now it's not only about what I believe, but what I'm exporting to others to believe. I'm causing people to sin. Can I share with you what is one of the scariest verses in the Bible? For me. It's James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You better be careful. That thing terrifies me. Terrifies me, keeps me up at night. So you gotta be careful because we'll be because again, it's not just about what I believe, but what I am causing others to believe. And that's what's going on with Jesus at that moment. He's all bunged up about the Pharisees. Why? It's not just that the Pharisees are rejecting Jesus, but the Pharisees are recruiting others to reject Jesus. They are subverting the faith of others. They are causing these little ones to stumble. And Jesus isn't a fan of that. When you lead others to sin, you are teaming up with Satan. And whether you die today or decades from now, you find yourself standing before God without a Savior and therefore flushed into an eternity apart from Him. That's called hell. And Jesus is saying, man, you better go with option A. Go with option A. It is better to have a large millstone tied around your neck. Now this makes sense to me, because remember, these marginalized that have become his babes, Jesus doesn't have physical children. Those are his spiritual children. He loves them dearly. I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that you are a parent, and you have a child, and some drug dealer gets your 12-year-old hooked on meth. What do you want to do to that person? You want to wring their neck? Or maybe tie a large millstone around it, right? So this is what Jesus is saying, that these are his kids and he loves them. So what I want you to do this week, just on these first few verses here, I want you to think through, is there anything in your life, in your beliefs, in your actions that might be causing others to sin? If so, run from it and run to Jesus. Dwell on that this week, okay? But I cheated you the last half of the passage. Here's how Jesus continues. Because he, he starts to address, well, okay, what about, what if somebody sins against you? What, what about that, right? Here it is. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. All right, so what we're going to do now is go to school because this is all about conflict resolution. And it's really important because in a fallen world like we live in right now, in a fallen world, we, we want a good relationship. We want good relationships, right? We start to think that a healthy relationship is one that is conflict-free. But in a fallen world, there's no such relationship. So a healthy relationship is one that handles conflict healthfully. 
You hear that? A healthy relationship is one that handles conflict healthfully. And the way you do that is with communication. Jesus says rebuke him. That means to talk. We're going to have a, a conversation about this, right? You got to communicate. Now, Shannon and I learned right out of the gates in our marriage. First year, we learned that when there's friction, you do not get to choose whether or not to communicate. I mean, oh, so you, so you, you should choose. No, no, no. No, I'm saying it's going to happen either way, right? Okay, so, hey, is everything okay? Yes. Are you doing, I'm fine. Guys, have you learned fine ain't fine? Okay, what's going on in that moment is one spouse thinks she is choosing not to communicate, but communication will happen. You are telegraphing that stuff. You do not get to choose if you communicate. You only choose how. And the how is, will it be healthy and helpful and healing? And Jesus says, says so do this. If somebody sins, rebuke him. Rebuke him. Now that means I'm going to go talk to him. Man, hold on to this. Talk to him, not about him. Talk to him, not about him. Which means gossip's off the table. You've got to talk directly. And, and, and you don't lash out when you communicate. And, oh, and also, you don't stuff it. Or, or, or just leave and split. Sometimes people do that. They'll just take off. That's immature. That is unbecoming of a Christian. We have to talk. How do we talk? Well, the first thing I want us to do, I, I want you to set your heart. It's very, very important. Set your heart. We've we got to realize that when, it, we're, when we're in relationship with somebody, we're on a team. We're on the same team. We're shoulder to shoulder. And when a problem comes, that is something that's attacking our team. And as a team, we want to defend against the attack, which means we win together or we lose together. It's about reconciliation and restoration. It's not about revenge. It's not about retribution. And it's not about who's right. We win together or lose together. We're on the same team. And then another aspect of setting your heart is this. We correct. We do not condemn. We do not condemn. We correct. This makes us different than the children of this world. But what's going on here is we have a goal of blessing and growth for the other person and healing and hope for them. We're looking to bless with our correction. This flows from love, not retribution. I, it's, it's saying, listen, I know that's sin in your life. I know where that's going to take you. And I love you enough to not just stand by and let you go there. I want to speak into that. And so it's not that I'm better than you. Listen, I need other people rebuking me as I'm rebuking you. We all need this. So it's not that I'm better than you. It's that I'm concerned for you. So we do not condemn, we confront. Now let me give you two practicals then about communication in this context. Uh, the first one is this. There is a communication hierarchy. What I mean is there are better forms of communication. When you are doing conflict resolution, you want to do that face-to-face, -face, in person. Because not only can you hear intonation and voice tone, but also you can hear body language. Hear it, you know, see body language. So very important. Now, if you can't be face-to-face, -face, the second rung down, it's, it's lower, but it's not as low as other stuff, is to uh, talk to them, probably by phone, which means you're going to take out your phone and you're going to use it as if it's a, um, 
Phone, yeah, yeah, a phone. And you're going to get on and you're going to talk to the person because at least you don't have body language, but at least you can hear voice and intonation. Because sometimes that's what's communicating love while the words are communicating truth, you see. Down the road is only written forms of communication. The very bottom of the barrel is something we call texting. (laughs) Have you figured out that texting is really good for causing conflict? Not as good for resolving conflict, right? So go up the hierarchy. The second practical, practical pointer is this. Start with a question, okay? So if what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking is, you were a jerk to me last night, period, that's a conclusion. I want you to form a question before you form a conclusion. So instead you're going to say, hey, it seems like last night you were kind of rude to me. Was something going on? Is everything okay? Did I read that right? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Now, I've allowed the opportunity to resolve misunderstanding and we're done, easy. Or, if there's stuff to work out, at least I've started with dialogue because we're on the same team. We're going to work on it together. Form questions before you form conclusions. Start there. Now, even if you do it well, sometimes, let's admit, communication goes poorly. I had a situation recently where communication didn't go the way I intended it. Shannon and I were leaving town, and we were only blocks from our home. But we came up to a stoplight, and there was only one car in front of us at the stoplight, and I noticed they had a redemption sticker on the back, okay? And so I thought, oh, this is cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say hi. You know how you do the friendly toot-toot, right? Double toot, that's friendly. One, eh, it means what the heck are you doing, right? So, so I go to, but I'm not in my truck. I'm in Shannon's SUV. I'm not used to the horn. So I give the eh, right? Now I can see their redemption sticker. They can't see mine. <clears throat> so, so she thinks there's some jerk behind her honking. She's I'm at a red light, so she gives me one of these. <laughs> later, I got up alongside her, and we talked later. She said, I- I'm so glad I didn't give you the finger. <laughs> like, me too, me too, right? <clears throat> oh, sometimes communication does not go well. And, and when it doesn't go well, let me give you four quick pointers. Uh, number one, check your heart. It, it is possible that it didn't go well because you didn't set your heart like I told you to, right? So you might need to go back and apologize for that part. Set your heart. Maybe you didn't do that. Check that. Secondly, if it doesn't go well, own your own. Own your own. Uh, let's, let's assume for the sake of argument that the other person is 90% at fault and you're only 10%. Yeah, right. I'll give it to you for now. All right, so, so let's assume that. And, and let's say they're 90% and they're owning nothing. How dare... Listen, at the end of time when you stand before God, you ain't talking about the 90%. You're talking about the 10%. You want to own your own. Even if they don't embrace anything, you want to go, I am more concerned about my sin than their sin. Own your own. Thirdly, don't argue about arguing. You know how this goes. Like, there's some issue and we bring it up and it doesn't go well. So we're arguing about how that was said. And now I'm arguing about the arguing about the arguing. And now I'm arguing about the arguing. And we're like 20 links away from the original issue. Just stick with the original issue. Don't argue about arguing. And then fourth and last, get help. 
Matthew 18 gives a process that assumes sometimes when you do conflict resolution, it's not going to go well, and there's a process of getting help. You might need to take a brother or sister in Christ along with you, maybe an elder, maybe a community group leader. If it's chronic, you might need to go sit down with a counselor. We have lots of people in our congregation that take advantage of wonderful Christian counselors, and sitting down with one might be the help you need. Get help. It's okay. It's okay. Now, what Jesus says uh, next is kind of interesting. He says, if he repents, then forgive. That's an interesting if clause in there. That allows us as uh, people not to be naive, because you understand, while forgiveness can be extended, the relationship is only reconciled and healed if repentance has taken place. That might be different than things you've heard in other venues. But you understand it's an echo of the gospel. When Jesus went to the cross and died, he extended forgiveness to all. Are all people in a reconciled, restored relationship with God? No. Only those who repent. See, it's an echo of the gospel. Now, nonetheless, I want you to be like God. You understand that God isn't all bunged up and bitter because some people didn't repent. God's doing okay. It's because God has assumed a forgiving posture regardless of the repentance of others. And I want you to be like your God. Unfortunately, we don't. And what we do is we build a prison out of our own bitterness. And the other person doesn't live in that prison. I do. I've got the only key and I don't let myself out. Or for some of you recovering addicts in AA, you've heard the, the idea that resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's so foolish. When I drink poison, it doesn't hurt that person. It only hurts me. And so not only do I have the original pain done to me, but now I, of my own volition, am continuing the, the pain through my own bitterness. And live free. God lives free. I want you to live free. I get that there, there might require some counseling, some healing, and some, I, I get that that's going to need to happen. But if, and I get that the relationship might not be restored unless there's repentance. But don't live bitter. Live free. Now, I've said repentance a few times. What's that mean? Well, repentance is when you are truly, deeply grieved over your sin. Like, for real. Now, uh, sometimes we, we're not really, we, we do fake repentance. We're not good at apologizing, are we? We're, we're just not. Oftentimes what we say is something like this. I'm sorry if that hurts you. Now think about that. I'm going to translate that for you, okay? I am sorry you are such a weak piece of crap that my very normal human activity somehow offended Mr. High and Mighty. It's not an apology. I'm sorry if that hurt you. Let me tell you what an apology sounds like. I did blank. And you're going to have to fill in the blank. Don't say, I did, I did wrong. No, be specific. Say, exactly. you want to honor their pain. Tell them exactly what you did. I did blank. It was wrong. And I know it hurt you. And I am so grieved by that. I wish I could go back and do it differently. In fact, next time I intend to do it differently, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? That's an apology. 
And, and I think both genders struggle with that. But men, let's be honest, our pride really, and that's a man's apology. It takes courage. And I want you to go there to apologize just like that. Now, the, that ended with, will you forgive me? The answer is, yes, I forgive you. Sometimes we do half so, like, well, oh, it's no big deal. Oh, don't worry about it. No, it, it's a big deal. It's called sin. And it's being appalling. Now, extend forgiveness in return. Some of you are saying, yeah, but pastor, I don't want to forgive him. I know, I know. Remember Jesus said, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to yourself. You are just like him. You are a, not just a victim, you're a perp. You're a sinner too. Folks, you understand we've got to forgive as we've been forgiven. I have been hurt a ton in my life, but nobody, but nobody has ever offended me half as much as I've offended God. And yet he just forgives me over and over and over, and he asks me to join him in it. And so here's a question. Was the blood of Jesus on the cross sufficient to cover not just your sin, but the sin done against you? You don't like the question, do you? Because you want to stay bitter and you realize the answer to the question. What I want to do is I want to say the blood of Jesus covers my sin, but not yours against me. But it's either both or neither. Was the blood of Jesus on the cross sufficient to cover the sins done against me? Therefore, they are paid. Now, there might be healing and growth and counseling that needs to take place. I understand that. But forgiveness is saying that there was a debt and the debt has been paid. And what happened is Jesus went to the cross and he marked it paid in full. It is finished. And what I do when I'm staying bitter is I'm going to, and I'm trying to squeeze more money out of you, even though Jesus already paid it in full. That's not right. Jesus paid for it. So we have to forgive. How many times do we have to forgive? I don't like this part. Seven times in one day. What? The Jews viewed it honorable to forgive a person three times in a lifetime. Jesus is saying seven times in a day. He's obviously saying there is a higher standard for the new covenant community. But please don't misunderstand it. It's not like Jesus is saying, so, you know, make sure you keep a record. That was six, buddy. Watch out. Seven's coming. Right? You're like, that's not it. In Judaism, seven is the number of totality, the number of completion. Jesus is saying, as often as the person repents, you must forgive them. Now, granted, that doesn't mean you can't put up healthy boundaries, right? So if your boss sins against you over and over and you forgive her and look for a new job, say, well, wait, I thought you forgave. Yeah, I forgave. And relationally, we're okay. I love her. We're restored. But it's no longer wise for me to live here. After all, I'm not in a covenant with her. It's not marriage. I can move on. By the way, there is a technical term for when you have to forgive somebody over and over and over and over. Do you know what it's called? It's called marriage. <laughs> That's what it's called, okay? And, and by the way, if you can't forgive the same person over and over and over, don't have kids. <laughs> just hide under a rock. I mean, it's just not... Listen, remember, in a fallen world, a healthy relationship is not conflict-free. A healthy relationship is one that resolves conflict healthfully. And it, does it sound hard? Yeah, it's hard. It's difficult. 
But Jesus is addressing his disciples, and he is saying we ought to be different. This is how the kingdom gets lived out in the world. After all, remember, Jesus came, and this changes everything. The gospel is not about a distant God shouting at us, saying, you better make it right, mister. You'd better fix it. The gospel is about God saying, I know you're a messy sinner. I know you can't fix it. I'm going to pay the debt for you. I'll do it over and over because I love you. You're forgiven. And then Jesus asks us as we join into that relationship to join him in his kingdom to be people just like that, that live out the gospel in our relationships with people. So you see, the children of this world, if you ask them what, what Christians are like, they might say weird, they might say mean, but what if? Just dream it. What if they would say, I don't agree about that Jesus stuff at all, but I'll tell you what, I know some Christians, and they are the most forgiving people in the world. Perfect. That's what we want. That's what we want. Jesus came, and this changes everything. Now, we're about to respond in worship through song, but I want one verse kind of hanging in your mind as we do so. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. This is about worship. God is a father. I want you to imagine you have two kids and they are fighting. They are unreconciled. What do you want as a parent above anything? You want your kids to get reconciled, right? So if the kid comes to you and says, hey, we're not reconciled, but don't worry, I mowed the grass. I don't care about mowing the grass. Go reconcile with your sister. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want your religious worship when you're not reconciled. First go, be reconciled to your brother, and then come in worship. And so during this time, you might need to weep, you might need to kneel, stand, sit, I don't know. You might need to make a decision during this song that you are going to have a hard conversation of rebuking, of confrontation this week. You might need to, during this song, release your bitterness and let it go. You might need to decide to forgive someone or go seek someone's forgiveness. During the song, you might need to leave where you're sitting and go and find somebody in the room that you're at odds with and give that person a hug. You might not need to leave your chair. That person might be sitting next to you right now, right? (laughs) That's what we're going to do, and then we're going to sing hard together. All right, stand with me. Let me pray. Father, thank you very much uh, that this is the kind of God you are because we're a mess And we don't make it right, and you just forgive us over and over and over again. And thank you for that. And would you fold us into your kingdom in such a way that we would be a good echo of your gospel in our relationships where people sin against us, and we would just forgive them over and over and over because we would declare uh, unquestionably that the blood of Jesus is sufficient, not just for my sin, but for theirs too. Take us there, Lord, please. Lead us into worship. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.